the podcast you are riding with D Train. Tonight we are talking about propaganda as a whole and propaganda in the school compulsory educational system. I have a couple sound bites, one with George Carlin. Um, George Carlin talks about rights and some other things, but he talks about how mass media tries to control and shape our thoughts. Also, I have a clip in its interview with Noam Chomsky. He is an activist. He's also an American linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist, historian, and social critic. So I just want you to know that when it comes to George Carlin and his, his stand-up comedy, that you can um, be a little, a little raunchy and there's some cuss words in it in case you want to remove your kids from the room or you might want to just go to the next segment but in George Carlin's uh, his commentary he makes some great points about mass media and I think you should take a listen I'll get back to you after I play the first clip which is going to be by George Carlin and then I'll chime in afterwards <laughs> Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. Politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. <laughs> you and I are not in the big club. And by the way, it's the same big club they use to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hardworking people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hardworking people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. Man. 
It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. For more interesting videos like this one, please subscribe. So just like whenever you have kids or maybe some nieces and nephews or some cousins that are a lot younger than you, you stand around and you tell them what to do, right? You tell them what to wear, you tell them what to eat, you tell them when they can play, when they have to wake up, when they have to go to sleep and everything else in between, right? And the founders of this country along with you know, local government and the media are constantly trying to control you, trying to tell you what it is that you're supposed to be doing at the time, what is you're supposed to believe in, and they are shaping your mind, they are shaping your thoughts, they are shaping your impulses, and they are lobbying so that they can have the greatest control over you and how you fit into the society that they want. And I'm going to give you a quote. It's from John D. Rockefeller. And John D. Rockefeller says, um, In our dreams, people yield themselves with perfect facility to our molding hands. The present education conventions of intellectual and character, education would fade from their minds and unhappened by tradition. We work our own goodwill upon a grateful and responsive folk. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of science. We have not to raise from them authors, educators, poets, or men of letters. We shall not search for great artists, painters, musicians, no lawyers, doctors, preachers, politicians, statesmen, of whom we have an ample supply. The task is simple. We will organize children and teach them in a perfect way the things that fathers and mothers are doing in an imperfect way. Now my question to you is, what is it about your mother and your father that they're saying that it's imperfect? They're telling you that they're not looking for philosophers, or men of science, artists, painters, musicians, and lawyers and doctors. And the reason why they don't want these people, and they say that we have an ample supply of it, is because these people are typically those who engage in critical thinking. They ponder, they look deep into the words that are said to them. They look into the media, they look into the TV shows, and they try to find out the hidden agenda. What is it that they're trying to show you? What is the message they're trying to portray to you? What is it that they want? And in this, this case, they want folks that are docile, folks that's not gonna ask any questions, folks that they can just say, hey, go over there and turn that wheel, or hey, go over there and flip those burgers, and you don't even question it, you don't even think about it, you just go and do it. Not even realizing that the things that you may be doing could, in some part of time, be a hindrance or hurtful or harmful to your, your brother, your sister, or somebody that you, you care about. I mean, you think about police today and the things that 
they're told to do. It's like uh, Nazi Germany. Every time you turn around, they're asking you for your papers. If you have a reason to be where you're at, they ask you where you live. Can you prove it? Why is that necessary? Why can't you just be free? Like the Constitution says in the Fourth Amendment, that you can walk freely and not have to show your papers every time somebody turns around and asks for them that you're innocent until proven guilty. When we all know that in this land is the exact opposite. You are guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. When the police are called and they respond to a, a caller, they come asking questions because of what somebody says. And now you have to prove whether or not you are guilty or you're innocent. That's a whole different subject, but I just want you to, to pay attention and to understand that this society, this world that we live in, they don't want you to think. They don't want you to, to raise your kids to ask questions. They want them dumb. They want them working on the factory line and just doing the same thing day in, day out. No questions asked so that they can get ahead and get fat off of your labor. You write in Manufacturing Consent that it's the primary function of the mass media in the United States to mobilize public support for the special interests that dominate the government and the private sector. What are those interests? Well, if you want to understand the way any society works, ours or any other, uh, the first place to look is who makes – who is in a position to make the decisions that determine the way the society functions. Societies differ, but in ours – the major decisions over what happens in the society, decisions over investment and production and distribution and so on, are in the hands of a relatively concentrated network of major corporations and conglomerates and investment firms and so on. They are also the ones who staff the major executive positions in the government, and they're the ones who own the media, and they're the ones who have to be in a position to make the decisions. They have an overwhelmingly dominant role in the way life happens, you know, what's done in the society. Within the economic system, by law and in principle, they dominate. The control over resources and the need to satisfy their interests imposes very sharp constraints on the political system and uh, the ideological system. When we talk about manufacturing of consent, whose consent is being manufactured? We, we can, to start with, there are two different groups. We can get into more detail, but at the first level of approximation, there's two targets for propaganda. One is what's sometimes called the political class. There's maybe 20% of the population, which is relatively educated, more or less articulate, uh, that plays some kind of role in decision-making. Uh, they're supposed to sort of participate in social life, either as managers or cultural managers like say teachers and writers and so on they're supposed to vote they're supposed to play some role in the way economic and political and cultural life goes on now their consent is crucial it's one group that has to be deeply indoctrinated then there's maybe 80 percent of the population uh, whose main function is to follow orders and not to think you know and not to 
pay attention to anything. And they're the ones who usually pay the cost. All right. Professor Chomsky, no. Um, you outlined a model with filters that propaganda is uh, sent through. That's way to the public. Can you briefly outline those? It's basically an institutional analysis of the major media, what we call a propaganda model. We're talking primarily about the national media, those media that sort of set a general agenda that others more or less adhere to, to the extent that they even pay much attention to uh, national or international affairs. Now, the elite media are the sort of the agenda-setting media. That means the New York Times, the Washington Post, the major television channels, and so on. They set the general framework. The local media more or less adapt to their structure. World news. It sound like it says that there's a beachhead. I think. I think. I think six twenty-eight is a good one. Yeah, but I think. I think. I think six. Good start. This is the operative sound bite for us. He's, he's out. Really he he's got a minute for all the time, so that's. I love this sound bite. And they do this in all sorts of ways by selection of topics, by distribution of concerns, by emphasis and framing of issues, by filtering of information, by bounding of debate within certain limits. Two and a half minutes to They determine, they select, they shape, they control, they restrict uh, in order to serve the interests of dominant elite groups in society. There is an unusual amount of attention focused today on the five nations of Central America. This is Democracy's Diary. Here, for our instruction, are triumphs and disasters, the pattern of life's changing fabric. Here is great journalism, a revelation of the past, a guide to the present, and a clue to the future. The New York Times is certainly the most important newspaper in the United States, and one could argue the most important newspaper in the world. Uh, the New York Times plays an enormous role in shaping the perception of the current world on the part of the politically active, educated classes. Also, the New York Times has a special role, and I believe its editors probably feel that they bear a heavy burden in the sense that the New York Times creates history. What happened years ago may have a bearing on what happens tomorrow. Millions of clippings are preserved in the Times Library, all indexed for instant use, a priceless archive of events and the men who make them. That is, history is what appears in the New York Times archives. The place where people will go to find out what happened is the New York Times. Therefore, it's extremely important if history is going to be shaped in an appropriate way, that certain things appear, certain things not appear, certain questions be asked, other questions be ignored, uh, and that issues be framed in a particular fashion. Now, in whose interests uh, is the history being so shaped? Well, I think that's not very difficult to answer. Now, to eliminate confusion, all of this has nothing to do with liberal or conservative bias. According to the propaganda model, both liberal and conservative wings of the media, whatever those terms are supposed to mean, fall within the same framework of assumptions. Uh, in fact, if the system functions well, it ought to have a liberal bias, or at least appear to because if it appears to have a liberal bias, that will serve to bound thought even more effectively. In other words, if the press is indeed adversarial and liberal and all these bad things, then how can I go beyond it? They're already so extreme in their opposition to power that to go beyond it would be to take off from the planet. So therefore, it must be that the presuppositions that are accepted in the liberal media are sacrosanct, can't go beyond them. 
uh, and a well-functioning system would in fact have a bias of that kind, the media would then serve to say, in effect, thus far and no further. Uh, we, we ask, what would you expect of those media on just relatively uncontroversial guided free market assumptions? And when you look at them, you find a number of major factors uh, entering into determining what their products are. Uh, these are what we call the filters. So one of them, for example, is ownership. Who owns them? The major agenda-setting media, after all, what are they? As institutions in the society, what are they? Well, in the first place, they are major corporations, in fact, huge corporations. Uh, furthermore, they're integrated with and sometimes owned by even larger corporations, conglomerates. So, for example, by Westinghouse and GE and so on. What I wanted to know was how specifically the elites control the media. What I mean is, I it's guess... It's like asking, how do the elites control General Motors? Well, why isn't that a question? I mean, General Motors is an institution of the elites. They don't have to control it. They own it. So what we have in the first place is major corporations, which are parts of even bigger conglomerates. Now, like any other corporation, they, they have a product which they sell to a market. Uh, the market is advertisers, that is, other businesses. What keeps the media functioning is not the audience. They make money from their advertisers. And remember, we're talking about the elite media, so they're trying to sell uh, a good product, a product which raises advertising rates. And ask your friends in the advertising industry, that means that they want to adjust their audience to the more elite and affluent audience that raises advertising rates. So what you have is institutions, corporations, big corporations, that are selling relatively privileged audiences to other businesses. Well, what point of view would you expect to come out of this? I mean, without any further assumptions, what you'd predict is that what comes out is a picture of the world, a perception of the world, that satisfies the needs and the interests and the perceptions uh, of the sellers, the buyers, and the product. Now, there are many other factors that press in the same direction. If people try to enter the system who don't have that point of view, they're likely to be excluded somewhere along the way. After all, no institution is going to happily design a mechanism to self-destruct. It's not the way institutions function. So they all work to exclude or marginalize or eliminate dissenting voices or alternative perspectives and so on because they're dysfunctional. They're dysfunctional to the institution itself. Those who constantly talking and interrupting during class. It's also for people who ask a lot of questions. It's also for people who will challenge the teacher and see if she really knows what the heck he or she is talking about, or they just spitting out some mumbo jumbo that they read in a book somewhere. They actually done a little bit of research and try to find out what is the truth of the subject in which they're speaking of and how it applies to these kids in their life. Don't you think that's important? Or should they just be able to go to class, talk about a subject for a few minutes, and then be tested on it, you know, a few minutes later? It's crazy. Every day they move from one subject to the next. Are you supposed to remember what you did 
two weeks ago, hell, two days ago. That doesn't make any sense. You know, whenever you come out in the real world and you do a job, you do the same thing over and over and over again, day in and day out. You have time to learn. You have time to develop those good habits to understand what to do, what not to do. And then you form questions in the job field. And you have a mentor on which you can ask questions. If nothing else, you can find the answers to those questions and then apply it to the job. But not in America's school system. You don't have the time to do those things. They want you to sit down go over this long-winded lesson and expect you to to perform very highly on a particular test on a particular date with very specific questions things that might not even be important or what you deem to be important how many times have you taken a test and be like Man, we we talked about this particular thing, or we talked about, uh, let's just say we were talking about the Indians. And, you know, the only questions that's on the test is about how the soldiers were living and the conditions on the field. What happened to the Indians wasn't important. What their families were like. The kind of things that they did on a regular basis and what they ate or their traditions. You gotta understand what's going on. Think about it. Before 1852, the American educational system as a public system was started at that particular year. Before then, there were various schools all around uh, the country. And uh, these schools primarily were held in in church buildings. And typically the teachers were those who worked at the church or the pastors that were there. And children of all ages would attend these schools and that they would only be um, split up according to sex. But you would have, you know, eight-year-olds with 14-year-olds and the 14 year olds would be in, in the back of the class and it was it was free you could come as you wanted and school would only last for about six weeks um, over time things have grown and it became longer and longer which you had to go to school and i'd imagine that the the federal government didn't care for that too much they didn't really know what was going on in these classes what these kids were learning. So they decided that they were going to get ahead and form a public educational system to which they could monitor and they could control and they could make sure that the things were being taught were the things which the government thought were applicable or uh, pertaining to the ideologies and the belief system in which they wanted you to have. And compulsory school uh, began. And things were modified and they were changed. And 
kids were forced to learn these different methods, the methods of the government, of the state, and the teachers teaching these classes didn't have a say in how things were supposed to be ran. It's kind of like the mafia, you know, they see a good thing going on and they don't want a little piece of the action. So they go in there and they flex their muscles. They smack people around a little bit, tell you what's what. If you don't do what the things that we tell you to do, if you don't like what we got to say, then we'll make an example of you. We'll break your legs, smack you around a little bit. That's not good enough. Then we're just going to off you. Or we're going to find somebody to take your place. Somebody that's more of a yes man. It's a little bit more dumb. Like the, the dumb muscle. You know, they don't ask any questions. They say, yes, a boss. And they go out there and they toss up the place, kicking over tables and chairs, you know, making a big old scene, scaring people. That's pretty much what the U.S. government is like. So, what was so wrong about what was going on before? What was wrong about the teachers teaching the things in which they thought were were important? You know, typically these kids were learning the things that they wanted to learn. It wasn't a bunch of this garbage where you remember whenever you went to school and you're like, why the hell are we talking about Tom, Dick and Harry or Dick and Jane? You know, I want to learn how to to read, you know, on a college level or I want to learn more about this specific scientific fact or more about biology. But instead, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, Joe Blow who lived a hundred years ago and how great of a, a founding father, you know, he was. And you get to read from his journal about his boring life and how he helped shape America. How, in, how imperfect he might have been but then yet he done so many perfect things like, you know, so what this individual had slaves or so what this individual had several wives and he beat his kids. He made compulsory education. He allowed for others to have an education to where they were able to build these factories or he stole this land from the Indians and Gave it to some foreigners so that they can get ahead and mass produce a particular crop. The bottom line is this. Is that as parents, we need to know what's going on in our kids' lives. What's going on in school systems and have a say in the things that are being taught and how our kids are shaped and formed. There's no asking. We need to be telling. We need to be getting involved with other teachers and other uh, parents and students and find out the things that they want, what they want out of education and figure out how the school is dealing with it. And then demand changes. After all, it's our taxes in that particular school district that we live in that's going to, to fund the school. So what? You get extorted and 
it gets taken out of your check before you even get to see your check. The fact of the matter is, is that you pay for it. And you should have a say. You should have a say in what it is that your kids are learning and how they're learning. How long they're going to school each day. What's the average school day? Six to eight hours? And then whenever they get done, how long are they doing homework? Another three to four? Maybe initially whenever they start off in elementary school, they don't have any homework and then it gradually grows, right? I can understand in college, whenever kids get out of the house, that they're spending hours upon hours on homework. I mean, after all, they're going into the job field. They need to know what it is that they're doing in the job field. But kids, five years old, eight years old, 14 years old, they need to be spending time figuring out life, enjoying life with their family and with their friends, building relationships in their community and understanding what's going on in their communities. The kind of things that would benefit their lives, the kind of things that would that would help them if they was ever in the pinch. The kind of things that somebody else might not know and they can get ahead and revert their attention uh, to this particular organization that might be able to help out with a little bit of rent. It might be able to help out with a little bit of lights or that can help further the education for just a fraction of the cost. I mean, after all, aren't we trying to build better people? Aren't we trying to influence the kids to become men and women who are thinkers who can create and build and discover things that's going to be able to move the country forward or move the communities forward, like protecting their, their neighborhoods, you know, from crime or from unwanted guests, you know, understanding that you know, Joe Blow down the block, he likes to drink a little bit. You know, he gets a little sloppy drunk and he talks out his butt, but he's not violent. You know, therefore, he shouldn't be arrested every time he gets looked at by the, the police department. Or so-and-so is, is homeless and, you know, they need a little bit of food, a little bit of shelter, maybe even a job, right? and how we can be able to do that. But instead, what's most important is how you can become smart enough or really dumb enough to be able to, to fall into some, some category, make some cat you will probably never meet a whole lot of money. And you make no difference because once you're gone, you can easily be replaced. Just plug and play. Simple enough. So what? You had surgery. So what? Your mom died. You got to take a couple days off? Oh, hell no. We can't have that. You can't miss time from work. Oh, wait. There's laws behind that. You can't just fire somebody because somebody died in their family. Well, we can work around that law. 
we can just say that this individual is incompetent and that they were causing a lot of problems. a sick twisted world and we need to be able to control it a lot better than what we're doing because the people that we've hired and given thousands of dollars to that's supposed to represent our state or represent our city are not doing the job they're living high on a hill somewhere fat off the hog driving nice cars their family has complete Insurance when it comes to medical, right? Little Timmy goes to private school, getting that liberal education, the one that you was never promised. And they're doing okay. So what? You sitting on the floor whenever you come in the house. You don't have furniture, but that your cupboards are empty. Long as Timmy and his daddy is all right, and his mommy driving that fancy car sitting on the hill and they have access to the books it's all right huh no maybe to you maybe for you it's all right but for me that's not okay i need a lot more out of life than that i want a lot more for my kids than that so the question i'm asking you is what are you going to do are you going to sit on your butt are you going to share this message or are you just going to listen to it and forget about it a couple minutes later? Just the way the educational system is. You read it, you regurgitate it a couple days later, you empty your brain and you leave that space for some other garbage that you don't need. So you can go ahead and regurgitate that garbage later on. Mm-hmm.